We'll go ahead and turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. We're continuing, of course, our, stu- our study of the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings. As we get into chapter 1, we're going to see God's act of creation. As the almighty, powerful God brings all things into, into being, His creation, He speaks and it exists. We saw last time in our really opening study the summary statement from the Bible, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Exodus 20 verse 11 says, In six days God created the heavens and the earth and all that is in them, God is the creator. This evening in Genesis chapter 1, we're going to see, the you might say, the, <clears throat> the first account of creation. Sort of the overview of how and when God created not only the world but man himself. And chapter 2 of Genesis is actually gives us the details of the creation of man. So there are really two parts. Some people say, oh, I think there's a contradiction. There's a creation in Genesis 1 and a cre- creation in Genesis 2. There is. Genesis 2 is actually the details of some of the things we find in Genesis 1. And Genesis 2 is dealing more with mankind. We'll see that as we go through. So we look at uh, this passage in the study. We're going to think about some of the following things. First of all, in Genesis 1, verses 1 and 2, is there a gap between these verses? What does it mean that the earth was formless and void? So that's some things to think about as we look at it. Number two is how do each of the days of creation fit together? We're going to see that there's a flow in that. And then the third thing is the days in God's creation, were they literal 24-hour days or were they long periods of time? And because that's one of the debates and subjects that, that, that maybe that there were long periods of time and that's where all this age of the earth is in millions and millions of years. So this evening, as we see the mighty acts of our God, great God, the beginning, how he spoke it all into being, brought our world into existence, may we worship him, may we praise him, the God of order and purpose and creation. Let's start with a prayer, and then we'll get into it. Let's pray. Heavenly <clears throat> Father, what a great night. Thank you for each one that's here, and thank you for the time that we have to come together to study the Bible. Lord, we know that you are a God of creation. You're the God of order, the God of purpose. You speak, and all things come to be. You are a God of power and majesty and love. You are the creator, redeemer, sustainer, provider, protector. You are the one who does it all. And so, Lord, we come to you tonight in praise and adoration of who you are and what you've done. Lord, we just ask you now that as we study Genesis and to begin this, that you would teach us. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's been a long time ago. It's been a number of years ago. I did this wedding in Corn, Oklahoma, and I had a friend with me. He went down with me, to, to, so I did the wedding, and, came, and I came back. We were hungry on the way back, so we decided we'd pull off the interstate, and we saw this place that looked okay on the outside. Let me put it that way. It looked okay on the outside, but as we walked in the door, we knew we were in the wrong place. We walked in, even though it was still daylight, outside when we walked in the place it was the difference between night and day the it was really a restaurant bar and there were shades over all the windows there were very little light it just it was really a dark place and we looked at each other and said we don't think this is where we need to be so we we got back in the car and we said you know those places like that not from experience we didn't know this but but those places are always dark people go to drink they they don't really want to be seen and uh, we then went to a Brahms, and it was totally different. You walk in, there's light and glass and everything. The contrast between light and darkness. The Bible says that men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil, and that's true. This evening we see that God brings light out of the darkness. He speaks and says, let there be light. And there was light, and the light was good. Second Corinthians 4, 6 says, for God commanded the light to shine out of the darkness. God, who is light, brings the light. And this evening, we'll continue in looking as we see God, the Creator. As we as we begin, or as we continue, let, let's be reminded of what we saw last time. 
as we began our study in the book of Genesis. Genesis, of course, is the first, first book. It's the book of beginnings. It's the foundational book for the Bible. The title, of course, means beginnings. In this revelation, God, we see the beginning of all things. We see the creation of the heavens and earth and man and plants and animals and language and the fall and the covenants and, and redemption and just thing after thing after thing. And so there's, it's just powerful. Uh, we're studying in my Sunday school the seven last things in Revelation. It has been said a lot of times that the things that began in the book of Genesis, a lot of them come to their conclusion in the, in the book of Revelation. As we think about the book of Genesis and this book of beginnings, there are four things we're, we're, gonna, we're thinking about. We, thought, we wanted to see as we go through the book, God, his character, his person, and his work. And that's what we're going to see it, not only in the first part, but all the way through how he deals. Second, we're going to look at mankind, the creation and the fall, all of that. Then we're going to see God's plan of redemption, his plan of salvation. It begins as early as Genesis chapter 3, if you would go back again to 3. Uh, God's plan of redemption and salvation, it begins that early. Genesis chapter 3, the seed of woman who will crush the head of the serpent. And then the the fourth thing we'll see as we go through the book is man's responsibility. What is man supposed to do to, to know God and to make him known and the plan of salvation, those kind of things? Now, last week I gave you just a big idea of the breakdown of the book. I've got an outline for you if you want it. It's, it's an outline of the book of Genesis. But let me just give you sort of a, a basic outline. The book is divided into two big parts. Chapters 1 through 11, I call it the big events. There's the creation, the fall, the flood, and the division of the nation. So in those first 11 chapters, there's a lot, there's a big time period there that we don't know exactly how long it is, but there's the creation and then the fall of man and the flood, which is the big thing, and then the division of the nations. So the first 11 chapters deal with a long time period and deal with big events. Then the next part of the book, chapters 12 through 50, deal with four people, four great people as we call it, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Abraham, the man of faith, Isaac, the man of the new birth, that's the picture there, Jacob, and we Watch his growth from being Jacob the deceiver to Israel the prince of God and then Joseph. And we see his service and his faith and how God used him, basically used him. He's a picture of Christ. He used him to save the nation of Israel and to save his people. So that's an outline. First 11 chapters, four big events, 12 through 50, four main people, four famous people. Now there's a lot involved there. And if you think about it, if you've just read the book of Genesis, it's 50 chapters. I mean, there's a lot there. So it's going to take us a while to go through this, and there's a lot of hard things in there, and there's going to be some things we'll say, we don't even know what that means. We don't know what's happening there. And so there's a lot of good stuff as we study it. Beginning of this evening, we want to look at the summary statement. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 says this, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we'll see the details of this act. God is the creator. Martin DeHaan says this. He says, The Bible traces all living creatures and all things back to God. Some statement is that God made everything. And I remind you that in the beginning, this is the beginning of creation, not the beginning of God. God has always existed. He's the eternal self-existing one. Psalm 90, verse 2, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. His name is YHWH. That's the Hebrew name, the personal name of God. We believe that that name, YHWH, comes from the root word Hayah, which is the word I am in Hebrew. And that's why when Moses said to God, who shall I say sent me? He said, I am who I am. Tell him that I am sent you. And the idea of YHWH, we sometimes translate that Yahweh, but the name of God is the idea of the ever-existing one, the self-existing one, the one who's always existed and always will exist. If you notice, it says, in the beginning, God, the self-existing one, that's Elohim there, that's a different word, it's the creators, the, 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 the plural form of God there, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's powerful. Uh, and I want you to be real honest as you look at it carefully. The word for God there, in the beginning God, is the singular form of God for Hebrew is El, E-L. El Shaddai, God the, the powerful one. 
But this is not El, this is Elohim. And that's actually God's. If, if you wanted to, you could translate this, in the beginning God's created the heavens and the earth. But it doesn't mean God's. It's sometimes called the plural of majesty because that's the name used over and over and over for, for the God of Israel, Elohim, the powerful one. And uh, most of the time when you see that and you see that aspect, uh, people say, why would he use that? Why didn't he just say El, E-L, instead of Elohim? Because I think it's a veiled aspect of the Trinity, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. You're going to get a little bit later on in Genesis 1, 26, 27. And God said, let us make man in our image. He's not talking about angels. Angels aren't creators. God is the creator. And I think that's the Father, Son, Holy Spirit there. So even the, the name God, Elohim, the plural of majesty there, gives us something. We saw last time it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And you know, the idea of created is, is not evolved, but created. And a lot of people talk about evolution and all the big debates between evolution and, and creation and what's right and what's wrong. Well, the Bible clearly says created. And I want you to understand the word bara, the Hebrew word there for create, is to create out of nothing. It's never used to people. It never does it say Abraham created something and use the word bara. It may say Abraham made something. But this word has an idea of to make out of nothing. It's only used as God with God as the subject. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's uh, used of God. Now, it's, you know, it's plural there, heavens, heavens and the earth. The idea of this includes the planets, the stars, the whole thing. This is a summary statement of the creation. It just says God created the heavens and the earth. He could have stopped right there and said, any questions? Do you want to, you want to know anything else? Say, I, I did it all. That's how I did it. This includes the planets, the universe, the sky, the earth. Psalm 33, 6 says, by the word of the Lord... The heavens were made. So, summary statement, Genesis 1-1, God created everything. And when we get to the creation of man, what we're going to do is we're going to take the time to deal with the idea of creation, a little bit on evolution, macroevolution, macroevolution, and micro, and we'll talk a little bit about that. But, but notice, there's nothing about an evolutionary process here. It just says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. As we move to verse 2, we come to a portion in which there are several views. A lot of people may not know. If you just read the Bible, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void. Now, this is the New American Standard. Some other Bibles read it just a little bit differently. But we may not realize that in English you can't necessarily tell it, but there's something there. The New American Standard just says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless, that's all it says. The King James says, and the earth was formless. The NIV, some NIVs say, now the earth was formless. It makes a difference in how we translate the start of this sentence in Hebrew. You can't tell it in English. It says, the earth was formless and void. There's the Hebrew there, tahu bahu, which means formless and void. It has an idea of empty. We're going to see that there was the earth, the, 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 the creation, you might say, this earth was formless and void. There it is. There's something there. There's that earth, and it's empty. There's darkness over it. There's, there's, we're going to see what's happening. There's, there's some kind of uh, surface there, you know, and, and there's the Spirit of God moving over it. Notice what it says. The earth was formless and void. Some people say, what does that mean? Darkness was over the surface of the deep. What's the deep? And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Now, what do you have as soon as he talks about this? There's an earth. It's formless and void. That means it's not ordered. There's a darkness there, and obviously there's water there. So there's a lot, just, and he doesn't tell us very much of anything. Now, before we get into the verse and to get more details, 
Did something happen? Did God create the earth formless and void? Or did he create it and then something cause it to be formless and void? That's really the question. And so it takes us to this idea. Is this the original creation? Or did something happen and we're going about to have a second creation or a recreation? There are two, there are a lot of views on this. There are two major views on what happens. And as belie- and let me tell you, as believers, you need to know what people think. You need to know that if you read a book, it'll talk about some of these things. So I want you to do that. There's two, two thoughts on this, that this is the original creation, Genesis 1, the whole thing. Or there's a gap, there's something called a gap theory, and there's actually a gap between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. Now, so you understand that Sometimes people read the passage and say, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, the earth was this and this and this, and God did this and this. That's the creation. That's how it happened. Some people say, no, 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 you don't understand. That in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, everything was great. And then there's something happened. There's a big gap between verse 1 and verse 2. Something happened in this. And so when we get to verse 2, now everything's messed up. The earth was formless and void and messed up. So when we get to get chapter to verse 3, God's going to have to recreate something that he started. So that's the two views. One is it's the original creation. One, there's a gap between verses 1 and 2, and something happened in there. Let's talk about it, first of all, from the original creation. Was it the original creation? Notice that it's a summary verse that begins it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. That's summary. Then going to verse 2, he begins to describe how he created the heavens and the earth. It's more of an explanation. In fact, the way it's written in the Hebrew... There's a thing called a vav. You won't. This doesn't mean anything at all except it's a, called a vav disjunctive. It's something at the start of a sentence that you could read it this way: In the beginning, God created them as the earth. Now, the earth was formless and void. He's saying, I'm going to explain to you. I'm going to go back and I'm going to give you the details of the beginning of how God created the heavens and the earth. And so that's what the original creation would be. He gives us a general statement, and then from that point on, he begins to go into the thing. He says it was formless and void. It didn't have all its shape and everything. And then God said, let there be light. And then you see the six days of creation, how he started and did this. So verse 1 would be just a, a summary statement followed by the explanation. That's the original creation. Okay? There's a second view, and that's the gap theory. And the gap theory is that between verse 1 and verse 2, something else happened. That verse 1 says God created the heavens and the earth. And he doesn't explain it there, but he says everything was just wonderful. He created the heavens and the earth. He put things on the earth. There were all kinds of things there. And then something went terribly wrong. Everything got messed up. So when we get to verse 2, he's going to have to start over. Now the earth was formless and void. It was messed up. There's a mess there. So I'm going to have to recreate what I already did. Well, what in the world happened between verse 1 and verse 2 if there is, if this is a recreation? Well, here's what a lot of people say. A lot of people say God created the heavens and the earth. And in really between verses 1 and verse 2, there are all kinds of things that happened. He, he, he created a world. He put dinosaurs. He put everything on it. Long periods of time happened. He put sort of uh, Cro-Magnum in and the subhumans. And they were there for a while. They kind of evolved on up out of this things, And, and people killed and ate and all this stuff. And all this bad stuff happened. And then God said, you know, that's not working. That's really not very good. So I'm going to start over. 
And so a lot of people, when they say there's a gap between Genesis 1 and 1-2, because they want to say, how do we look at science today and have millions of years? Where did the dinosaurs fit in? What about all these subhuman people that they keep finding, these so-called crosses between man and something else? I mean, so a lot of people believe that in between Genesis 1 and Genesis 1-1 and 1-2, there was another whole world that was out there, and then God kind of started over. In fact, some people believe that he created the heavens and the earth, and that's when Lucifer fell, and so he started over. Others say, no, no, it wasn't that, because Lucifer fell even long before that, uh, that, uh, uh, that uh, there's, uh, there was another whole world. Uh, there have been people come on our campus and speak within the last five to ten years who taught that there were subhumans, that God put on this earth, not total human beings, but subhumans that lived at the same time of dinosaurs, and they all lived, and, you know, all that kind of stuff happened, and then God started over again. A man by the name of Etan Kant says, there is no connection between the souls of this world and the lives that existed in the previous world. There are a lot of people who hold to that. Some say it was a pre-Adamic race of people ruled by Satan with the world and dinosaurs long ago. Sin have brought this formless and void thing in there. Well, so as I said, so there's two views. Original creation, gap theory. Original creation, original statement, summary statement, and then explanation. Gap theory, something happened between 1 and 1, 1-1 and 1-2, and that's where we could say, oh, dinosaurs, cavemen type things, all of that. Well, how are we going to take it? Well, let me, I'll be honest with you. I take it as the original creation. I don't think there was a gap. Okay? And we can explain that dinosaurs very easily and there aren't cavemen and Cro-Magnon men and half-men and subhuman men. There wasn't any of that. But why do I do that? There's a couple of reasons. One is grammatical and the other is what I call biblical theological. Let me talk about grammatical for a second. Just the whole idea, go to the next slide, I think, is... Two things there. First of all, the word was. See, the, 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 my Bible, as the New American Standard, translates that the word was formless and void. There's some translations or some scholars who say, no, no, it's became. The earth became formless and void. That's because there was the gap in between there. Well, the word was should be translated was. It should not be translated became. It's never used became anywhere else. So if a person says, here's how we know there's a gap because the word was is really became, doesn't fit anywhere. So was is the best. The second thing under there is the beginning of the verse with that vav, vav disjunctive that I said to you a while ago. There's a thing called a vav consecutive and a vav disjunctive. A vav disjunctive begins a sentence to give an explanation of what went before it. This is what we see in Genesis 1-2. So I believe that Genesis 1-1 is a summary statement, and Genesis 1-2 then says, now this is how he created the heavens and the earth. I do not think there's a big gap in there. That's from grammatically. But biblically, theologically, it's the next one. Biblically, theologically, there's a verse. I think I have it up there, Romans 5-12. It says this, and through one man... Sin into the world and death by sin. Death passed upon all for all sin. Who is that one man? Adam. When did sin and death enter the world? When Adam sinned. Now, if there's a pre-Adamic race, if there's another whole world, and there are dinosaurs eating each other and dying, and people are dying, and our subhumans are dying, is there death? There is. When did death actually come into this world? When Adam sinned. 
If you're going to take it theologically, Jesus himself talked about that and about Adam and the fall. So if you take the Bible from historical, literal, grammatical interpretation, you read Romans 5.12 that Paul wrote of what Jesus said, you do not have death until you have sin, and you do not have sin until Adam and Eve fail. There is no pre-Adamic world. There is no other world that existed with sin, with, with death before the, the Adam and Eve. And so I, I just don't see it from a theological view. Okay, now let's look at verse 2. It says, the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. He created the heavens of the earth, and now he's going to talk about it. Formless and void. It doesn't mean that something's wrong. It just means he hasn't ordered it yet. He's going to order it. In fact, we're going to see in six days he's going to order this thing pretty well. S. Lewis Johnson, who used to teach at Dallas Seminary, said this. It was, it was perfect, but it was not yet complete as far as God's ultimate purposes and concerns. The, the word world in the Greek is cosmos, which means the ordered system. When he created the heavens and the earth, at one point it was not ordered yet. He made the creation. He had not yet ordered it, he, although he had planned it. It says darkness was over the face of the deep. There was mass covered with water. So we would say it was unformed, unfilled, dark, and fluid. Notice what it says. And the Spirit of God was moving, literally hovering over the surface of the waters. Now, some people say, you know, who who, who created the heavens and earth? Who? Who did it? God the Father? He did, didn't he? Elohim, God the Father. Did the Holy Spirit create the heavens and the earth too? There he is. He's the Spirit of God. Did Jesus create the heavens and the earth? Colossians 1, 16, 17, all things created by him, for him and through him, and in him all things exist. So we can see even in verses 1 and 2, there's the Father and the Spirit are being talked about as dealing with this creation. Now what is so amazing about this? It says, and the Spirit of God was hovering, and it's the word used of a bird flapping the wings over the water. When when God sent the Holy Spirit down at the baptism of Jesus, how did he come? As a dove, like a bird. Look at verse 3. Then God said. We're going to see the next, bottom line, we'll see the six days of creation. God takes the material and shapes it and forms it and brings it to what he wants it to be. So, so just picture this. God started and just said, in the beginning, here's this statement. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He could stop right there. He said, I don't have to give you any details. You can look around. You can see the details. But he didn't. He said, now I'm going to give you the details. The earth, first of all, was formless and void. And the Holy Spirit was above the face of the deep. And there was waters there. And then God says, and so the first thing I decided to do was... And then the second thing I decided to do was... And the third thing I decided to do... And the fourth and the fifth... And he goes right down the list. You get to Genesis chapter 2. It's not anything new... He gives us further details because in Genesis chapter 1, all he says, and listen to this. God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over the earth and over the creeping thing. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Do you think that's a summary statement? It is because he didn't make them both at the same time, did he? You get to Genesis 2 and you find the details on how he created male and female. 
Genesis chapter 1 is an overview. Genesis chapter 2 is the details. Genesis 1-1 is the overview. The rest of Genesis 1 is the details of the creation of the heavens and earth. Hebrews, the, the writers of Hebrew, the way Hebrew is written and the narratives, they do that all the time. When they list genealogies, how many of you love reading through genealogies? They're really fun, right? Well, they're really amazing. They're not that much fun, but they are amazing. But what you'll notice, he will list some names, and he'll say, the sons of, and he'll list like three. And then he'll take one of those sons, and he'll list like 12 people who are under him. And then he'll list another son, 12 people. Then he'll list another son, and that son's the main one. And he'll list this, and he'll go into a lot more detail. And then of those sons, he'll pick one out, and he'll go into a lot more detail. Because he does that. He always gives you an overview, and then gives you the detail. Genesis 1-1 is the overview. The rest of Genesis chapter 1 is the detail. Genesis 1, 26 and 27 is the overview. Genesis chapter 2 is the details. That's how it fits. Now, as we see, verse 3, as we see, then God said, let there be light, and there was light. We're going to see in the days of creation, there are five aspects in almost every one of the days. First of all, there's an introduction. It'll say, and God said. Then there's a command, let there be. Then there's a fulfillment, it was so. Many times there's an evaluation that it was good, and there's a conclusion, evening and morning was a day. You'll find that almost every one of them. A couple of them don't have the evaluation. A couple of them skip another thing or two, but almost all of them have the introduction, the command, the fulfillment, the evaluation, and the conclusion. God is a God of purpose and order. Some have said this, it is clear that the universe is not self-existing nor is the product of some kind of random arrangement. It is plain that God has a plan and purpose for his creation. So let's start with the introduction. What would it be? And God said, God speaks. Isn't that amazing? The power of God that all he has to do is speak. I always think it's amazing that that people are always talking about the devil and the power of the devil and what a battle it is. And there's the battle between good and evil and light and darkness and the devil and, and God. And, and people think about, you know, it's kind of a toss-up. It's not a toss-up at all. When it all comes to being, what is God going to do? He's going to speak and it will all be over. That's his power. And God said, what's the command? Let there be light. And the fulfillment? Then there was light. He just said it, and there it is. Now there's light. There hadn't been light. Notice it says, the earth was formless and void. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And then God said, I think we need some light. Let there be light. And there was light. That's the fulfillment. First John 1 verse 5 says that himself, God himself, is the light giver. He's the giver of light. He's the, the light of the world. And we're not talking about the sun, by the way. This is not the sun. The sun doesn't come till the fourth day. He's not talking about, oh, I'm going to put the sun up here and put a little light on everything. No, he, he just makes light. I think the source of light is God himself. And there's a contrast here between light and darkness. Look at the evaluation. Light was good. And God saw that the light was good. And we're going to see a division. And he divided. God separated the light from the darkness. This is the first of three separations. In Genesis 1, there are three separations. I think we have a slide on it. There's three separations. He separates the light from the darkness, the sky from the water, and the land from the sea. You'll see that as we go through. We won't get that tonight, but you'll see that. Then the very first one is here where he separates the light from the darkness. There's going to be a time of light and a time of darkness. And it's been that way ever since. A time of light and a time of darkness. This is also the beginning of this underlying truth 
of the contrast in the Word of God between light and darkness, good and evil. Light almost always is a picture of good. Darkness is almost always a picture of evil. In the Bible, the whole idea of character is God is light. He's perfect and holy. Darkness, men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. You look in the Gospel of John, and that's what you see over and over, that the light contrasts with the darkness. We live in a fallen world that is dark. And the light of the glorious Gospel, which he says in 2 Corinthians, that the light of the Gospel may pierce the darkness. On the first day, God makes light, divides it from the darkness. And notice verse 5, And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. But from this point on, there's going to be day and night. Light and darkness. Day is light, night is darkness. We do the same thing, don't we? It's night outside. We say, it's dark. How do we know when it's night? It gets dark. Do you keep up with how much light we have all day? I do. That's weird. Ten hours and four minutes of light today. Go look it up. That's what we have. We gain about a minute or two of light every day from now on all the way to the middle of June. And then it starts going the other way. See, I like light, so I can hardly wait for the days to get longer and longer and longer. So how do you know when it's night? It's dark. How do you know when it's day? It's light. We say, oh, it's almost daylight. Here's his conclusion. And the evening and the morning were the first day. Notice. And there was evening and there was morning one day. Literally, the evening and the morning, first day. We come to this question, and when, uh, time, is, time is just about up, so we're not going to go with a lot of details on the idea of day. We're going to get more details on it next time. But here's really the question. Are the days literal 24-hour days? Or are they like long periods of time when he says the evening and the morning were the first day and the evening and the morning were the second day and the evening and the morning were the third day? I was like, is this like millions of years that just go? Like, did he say create light and darkness? And then he went, All right, I'll just sit back over here for about, oh, a million years, and then I'll come back and I'll do something on another day. Is that what it means? And people say, well, doesn't, doesn't day mean a long period of time? Like you say, in my father's day, we uh, they didn't have computers. Doesn't day mean a long period of time? But what if I said it was two days? What would you think immediately if I said two days? Long periods of time? Or would you think two 24-hour days? Let me show you something. Let me just explain something to you. Uh, that we're going to see a lot of people hoping that the days don't no, go back go back go back a lot of the people are hoping that these days are long periods of time because they want to try to figure out a way that they can make science and the bible match and so they can do it by having these long periods of time and that's when you have all this bad stuff happen over here and all these ages and all these dinosaurs all these weird people all this stuff they don't even have to have a gap to do that but let me tell you something If you read in Hebrew, there's only one way to take it. Only one way to take it if you read it in Hebrew, and that is a 24-hour day. Why? There's several reasons. Number one, in the Hebrew language, anytime the word day, which is yom, y-o-m, anytime there has a cardinal or numeral adjective with it, like first day, second day, third day, or one day, two days, three days, anytime it's ever that way, whether it's the biblical literature or regular Hebrew, any other writings, it always means a literal day. I mean always, not just sometimes, always. Also in Hebrew, anytime the idea says evening and morning, that always refers to a literal day. Always, no exceptions. 
So if this doesn't mean a literal day, then out of all the other places that it's ever used, this is the one time that it doesn't mean literal. Because if I said to you, you know we're going to be there three days, do you think I mean three long periods of time or three days? If I told you that happened on the first day, what would you think? Happened on the first day. So we'll see more about it. In fact, uh, next week, I think, is this the next time we're going to look at three things, okay? We're going to look at the meaning of the word yom, the word for day. How does it fit? We're going to look at the significance of the aspect of first day and second day. And we'll also talk about evening and morning there. And then we're going to see the context of Genesis 1, how it fits. That will help us as we try to figure this out. Because there are going to be people come up to you and say, the word day doesn't mean a literal day. It was talking about long time periods. Well, we'll see what it says. I'm going to just say this just to help you feel good about it. If any person reads this in the original language, there's only one way to take it. There's only one way they possibly understood it, and that was to mean literal 24-hour days. That's the only way it could be taken. Now, you can make it try to say something else if you want to, but that's the only way it could be taken. So in summary, what have we seen? We've seen the summary statement, God created the heavens and the earth. We've seen the power and the purpose and the order of God. He spoke and it was so. We've had a little discussion between the gap theory about Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. And we just got the fact that God created, uh, basically said, let there be light. And there was light. So let me give you some applications. The first one is, know, know the word. Know the idea of this revelation about the beginning. Know or study through Genesis 1-1, Genesis 1-2. Get an idea. Understand gap. So that if somebody came up to you and said, do you believe in the gap theory? That you'd say, Yes or no? That's up to you. You have to search it yourself, see what you think. I don't believe there's a gap there because of those reasons that I gave you. But you may do your own study and say, well, I think J.B.'s wrong. I think there's a gap there. That's up to you. You'll have to stand before God as you study the passages yourself. But understand it. So you will. Just like I'll have to stand before God on how I take these passages. Isn't that true? We all do. And you have to be ready to give an answer when people talk to you about the Scripture. So our purpose is that my plan is that you study this book over the, over, over the weeks to come and months to come and maybe the years to come. We'll be studying through Genesis. And we, we'll get this. The second thing we should do is worship God. Because when you see this, and we've had some great songs tonight, but when you see this, we see who He is. He brings all things in existence, his power and his majesty, the God of order, how he forms the creation in day one and day two, and he separates and forms his perfection because he says everything that he did was good. Albert Palmer says, he says, this idea of worship is as we respond to God, who he is and what he's done. The third one is this. Spread the message that Jesus Christ is the light of the world. Because even though God is... Right now, we just barely got into it, whether He is light. And He says, let there be light. But as we look throughout the Scripture, Jesus is the light of the world. And He is the one who brings light into the world and, and all of that. And so we live in a fallen world that needs the light. And truth is... Uh, Jesus is the light of the world, the Savior, and we're declared the light because we're salt and light as well. So not only do we tell people that Jesus Christ is the light of the world, Jesus said to us that we're to be salt and light. We go into this world with the message. So we get to tell people the great truth of Jesus Christ. God did not leave us on this earth to get used to the darkness, but to shine His lights, and that's what we must do. We're the salt and the light, as Matthew chapter 6 says. Gary Oliver writes this. This is a quote from him. He says, Do people know that we're Christians by what we do or what we don't do? Do we live and as model the Christian life lifestyle as lights of the world? Are we taking the message into our community? I saw this commercial. It's been about five or six years ago. It was a commercial. Mercedes-Benz showed this car, and it hit this wall, and it had this special energy-absorbing body that they had made. And 
in the commercial, they said that even though they had the patent for this type of collision, that they gave it to every other car company. And somebody said, why would you do that? And they said, some things are too important not to share. The message of Jesus Christ is so important that we have to share it. We have to tell it. It's the most important message in the world. As we tell about the light of the world, we are lights in this world, and we take the message of Jesus Christ into a world of darkness. So as we study Genesis, may we know God, may we know his word, may we worship him. Uh, and this week, take some time to read through Genesis 1, 1, 1, Genesis 1, Genesis 2. Put it together. Get ready, because next week we'll start at verse 6 and go through about verse 23. Uh, I just wanted to see how that fits together. Let's pray, and if you have questions or comments, we'll take the time to do that. Heavenly Father, what a great what a great night. Thank you for your truth and for the Bible and how perfect it is. And so, Lord, help us as we study to know your word. Lord, we want to be of the ones to take the, uh, the message of Jesus Christ into this world, because we are the light of the world, and Jesus, of course, is the light of the world. May we worship our God and Savior, knowing that He is the Creator, Redeemer, Sustainer, Provider, Protector. He is everything. And Lord, may we have an understanding of how the Bible fits together, especially Genesis 1 and 1-1, and how we see it and how it fits, so that we can be ready to give an answer to everyone for the hope that is with us. Help us, Lord, as we study this. Teach us, Lord, we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.